You're listening to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. cultured crew. So happy to have you back for another episode of the Cultured Podcast. Today, we are featuring yet another episode that I recorded for Georgia Public Broadcasting's On Second Thought. Big ups to my peeps over at GPB who allow me to put this on the Cultured Podcast and share the goodness with you guys. These are actually expanded episodes of the versions that GPB uses for On Second Thought. Today, we have Felicia Henderson. If you don't know who she is, you sure as heck know the shows she has written for and co-created. She has written for Family Matters, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Moesha, Everybody Hates Chris, Fringe, The Quad, The Punisher. I mean, this woman is TV and writing royalty, and I am so excited to be able to share her perspective with you guys. But first, let's talk about what's inspiring me this week. And you know what, y'all? Sometimes you got to turn lemons into lemonade because what's inspiring me this week is enthusiasm which I obviously have a lot of. And sometimes that can be too intense for people. But you know what? I is who I is. And I also can do this show, perform on stage, do my theater thing because of my level of intensity. I just want to encourage everybody out there who people tell you you're too much, you're too intense, whatever. Keep it up, y'all. Whatever. Intensity is a good thing. Okay? And if I'm too intense for you, I'm sorry, not sorry. Bye. (laughs) Just kidding. Love you guys. But like also not kidding. Anyway, enough about me and my intense levels of energy. Let's talk to Felicia. It's very inspiring. I I myself am a writer and to see your range and just the many different shows. You know, your career started with Family Matters, Fresh Prince of (laughs) Bel-Air. Huh? Those are shows I grew up on. Yes. I mean, come on, Urkel? You've written for Urkel. Yes. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, to, to... DC Comics and Marvel. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't get better I than think that. that, you know, um, someone asked me what do they all have in common, mostly because they thought they don't have anything in common. And it did force me to look at that question and want to answer it just from a creative point of view. And they do all have something in common. And everything from, like you said, Family Matters to Fresh Prince, you know, to Moesha. Moesha. To Everybody Hates Chris, um, and then transitioning, you know, to drama with Soul Food and um, Fringe and Gossip Girl, and even The Quad and The Punisher, what they all have in common is that they're all about family. And it is something that I enjoy writing about, our family, just familial dynamics, no matter what the genre, no matter what the setting Um I find that if that doesn't exist in whatever I'm doing, I create it. If if there isn't a father-daughter, you know, a biological father-daughter relationship, I and it's in a workplace, I'm like, he's going to be her mentor. Like, I create it 
So it is something I think, you know, if I am to um, self-diagnose, I think that it is has to do with being part of a, coming from a big family. I'm one of eight kids. Wow. Yes. And so I think that it's what I know better than anything. And and yet I love math and science, you know, and I also love comedy and everything in between. And so what is true is that there is always some kind of family dynamic in everything that I do. For those who haven't yet seen the show, can you tell us a little bit about what The Quad is about? Absolutely. Um, The Quad is basically a show set on an HBCU, historically black university campus. And it is about the first woman president um, coming to take over. And then about six freshmen who also enter at the same time. So it's all these people who are starting anew. She is um, from the north and this school is in the south. But she assumes that, you know, well, I'm black. It's black. It's going to all be good. (laughs) And she quickly finds out that that is just not so. So it is taking a look at the culture um, on the campus um, and pretty much everything that goes with starting over. Right. And in an interview with Real Black Podcast, you do mention how important it is to show the diversity of the Black experience because, and I love this quote, you say, there's no such thing as a Black monolith. How does setting a show on a university campus help you do that? Yeah, um, I think that what's wonderful about that is that you get to look around and see all these people and quickly there's no need to tell a story about how we're different. You look at them, you see them making their way through the world and you quickly see everyone is different. It, it, it just is. And it is important, I think, for uh, African-Americans to see themselves represented in a whole you know, diaspora of what we are. Um, but I also think that it's important for non-blacks to see it as well so that they don't think we are just what they see on the 6 o'clock news. Absolutely. You know, I didn't fully appreciate how important representation can be and the full breadth of representation. I'm Latina, and until I started seeing shows starring Latinos that are outside of this over-sexualized or over-romanticized portrayal, I started finding myself saying like, wait, that's me. That's my family. And the power of seeing yourself on the screen in all of your complexity and, and embodying all the complex beings around you is something to be said. I mean, that it really is important. So like you said, this show focuses on HBCUs and also on Greek culture within those HBCUs. In fact, crossing sands or pledging is a coveted experience Mm -hmm. at HBCUs. And this season, Van Jones, a CNN commentator, makes a debut. He helps induct characters Cedric and Bryce into the Sigma Mu Kappa fraternity. Until you are no longer of this earth, you will be men of Sigma Mu Kappa. Many desire membership in Sigma Mu Kappa. Very few are chosen. You represent the chosen few. Wow. Yes, it's Van Jones, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We're done. Yes. (laughs) You crossed as a Delta Sigma Theta at UCLA. So you know firsthand about the Greek experience. How closely do you follow the tenets of real-world Greek culture in the show? 
Yeah, um, a couple of things worth mentioning. Um, so I, a couple of things. So it is crossing the burning sands. Oh. is the, Yes, that's like I crossed the burning sands. What does that mean? Yeah, and basically what it means is that everything that you have gone through, everything as a pledge, um, everything that you have learned, um, everything it culminates in this moment where you now know, have enough knowledge about, and it includes like, you know, really in some ways, African-American history, that you have to learn the history. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. We never live it, leave out the incorporated. <laughs> it's what we do. Wow. And, um, and when I pledged and had to learn that, you know, by rote, you had to be able to, you know, at a drop of a hat as part of the pledge process. Um, but it was also, it was the history of African-Americans, the history of African-American women specifically. Um, you know, I still know it by heart to this day. Um, but it is the history of, you think about it, in 1913 at Howard University, these 22 women decided to create this sorority. And it wasn't a social thing then. It was... Um, as a way to get involved in the women's movement. It was a way because um, there was, you know, a problem with black women getting an opportunity to be part of the women's rights movement. And how do we do that? How do we organize? So a lot of it was about how do we organize? Um, and a lot of times now, and because there's such a difference in what black Greek life is compared to white Greek life, that... Um, People tend to, if they don't know anything about it, think that it is about it's about um, socializing. Mm -hmm. Not to say that that we don't like socializing, but it really is about community service. It is about um, giving back. It is about fundraising. It is about sending kids to college. So it, it's it's quite different. The truth is Atlanta is a home, a hub of HBCUs. Yes. And you guys for the quad filmed across many HBCUs here. So how did faculty and students receive you while you were filming? You know, we shot the pilot basically on Morehouse College and Morris Brown College campuses. And it was interesting at first to just see the students walk by and they just look at us, you know. <laughs> and um, and then they eventually got, you know, comfortable enough to to approach us. And sometimes I would see some looking that you just knew they wanted to, and I would just approach them and say, "Hi, here's who we are. Here's what we're doing." And because we were also inconveniencing them, like moving students out of dorm rooms <laughs> and, you know, putting them in hotels so that we could shoot in the actual dorm rooms. I'm sure they didn't, you know, not have fun in the hotel rooms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We even did that for the president's mansion. We moved him out. Oh, my God. Yes. But he, I mean, they got moved out to like the, you know, courtyard by Marriott. He got moved out to the Ritz-Carlton. Yes. So, right. <laughs> but I think that. It was seeing them see us and what is this, you know, um, and for them to see a predominantly black crew um, shooting this thing that looks, you know, pretty impressive. It's a high-end Hollywood production coming to campus. But it's what led to um, what we started in the second season, which was the internship program, because I just got very, very convicted by the idea that there is no way that we should be shooting on these campuses and not training the students whose lives were interrupting 
and also because they're, you know, so far from Hollywood or I should say Canada or, or you know, <laughs> where so much um, production happens um, that there should be an opportunity for them because we were here. I'm so glad because that's a tremendous opportunity to – and the film industry always needs more people yes. on deck. yes. So did they kind of unofficially become consultants for the show at any point? Well, I've never had a shortage of unofficial consultants. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Let's just say that because what we have, an official, we do have an official consultant as well. Right. um, Who is a professor who teaches at, um, she was at Howard and now she teaches at Kentucky State or she's an administrator now, but she was very, very, and her specialty is, uh, her, her area of interest and in research is um, economics in the HBCU um, in, uh, environment. So she's been very, very helpful. But, you know, we have writers who went to HBCUs. Three of our cast members went to HBCUs. Um, some of the executives at our network went to HBCUs. And then some of our, ca- our crew members. So like you can imagine being, I'm shooting, you know, we're on location. I'm at the crafty table, just getting a cup of tea and someone on the crew might walk by. Well, here's a story we should do. This was my experience. I love that, by the way. I love that it comes from all different directions in addition to the extensive research that is happening in the writer's room. I'm speaking with Felicia Henderson. She's the co-creator and executive producer of BET's The Quad. This season, fans get to see the incomparable Jasmine Guy, famous, of course, for her role as student Whitley Gilbert in A Different World, Mm -hmm. back on a college campus, but this time as a professor. What made you think of Jasmine for this role? Well, to be honest, um, Rob Hardy, who uh, directed the pilot is and is one of the show's executive producers, um, he already had a relationship with her. And while I was still writing um, and said, we need a professor, and he's like, I really think we need to get Jasmine Guy. And I have a relationship with her. He directed her and other stuff, and I was like, let's go. I just thought that was such a great idea. And... Um, you know, she's such a consummate professional and um, and people have such nostalgic love for her that it was wonderful. It, it was a wonderful piece of the puzzle to add. And we added it her early on. And I mean, it really feels in a way that the quad is kind of an extension of a different world, which in itself made a really big impact on black enrollment in colleges mm-hmm. uh, in its day. So it just feels like such a natural fit, like the modern day grown-up version. I love it that she was a student who, you know, obviously it's not that it's not Whitley, but it just is so much fun to go. This woman who played Whitley and such an iconic character um, now is playing this character, uh, Ella Grace Caldwell, on an HBCU campus as well. What were some of the major storyline shifts this season? Um, I think the biggest storyline shift... um, is that we decided in the second season to do a storyline that was more specific to the HBCU experience. So that the first season, um, the overall season arc, you know, we have a season arc and then each character has their individual arcs. But the season arc last year was about rape culture on college campuses, particularly as it relates to athletes and what they are allowed to get away with. 
um, and you know what happens and to the woman who is assaulted um, and how she's assaulted over and over again through the the aftermath. And we wanted to tell that story. We wanted to tell the story, by the way, of also um, the perpetrator, so that it didn't feel like a you know cop procedural on a network where it's like that she's the victim and we never hear about her again or who he is and what makes him a three-dimensional character. So we really took a deep dive into looking at the characters of both of those, 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 um, those two, the two people involved. And, um, and it really resonated. It really resonated. I just spoke to a, a class at Xavier in um, New Orleans and the professor said in the middle of this thing, so I have to stop you and tell you this because I didn't know if I should, but I know of three students myself who came forward to talk about their sexual violence. As a result of what you did on the quad, it gave them wow. you know, the strength to do that. It gave them the courage to do that. Well, I am a really strong, hard cookie. Mm. It made me cry wow. because I thought, if nothing else happens out of this show, I have done something that I could only imagine, you know, that we have changed someone's life for the better so that when I hear people say, why are you airing our dirty laundry? Why are you saying that um, occurs on black college campuses? Well, our show is based at a black college campus, but the real message was this is what happens on college campuses um, around the country. Widespread sexual abuse across college campuses, across this nation, is a huge issue. Yes. And you do directly deal with that issue. In fact, this season, we see Anika Noni Rose's character, Dr. Eva Fletcher, confronting the parents of her daughter's attacker. And it results in a heart-wrenching scene. That girl, she ever say she was sorry for what she did? What girl? She killed my son. Is she sorry or not? Is she talking about Sydney? She killed my son. Sure, she pulled the trigger herself. He raped her. Terrence raped my daughter, then killed himself. She killed him! He should be here apologizing she to Sydney my from baby. a jail cell. From a jail she cell! Killed my baby. She killed him! She that still gives me chills just yeah. hearing it. Yeah. You know, I was there. I was, you know, uh, from the script stage on set. It's it gives and me chills. And you had to relive that over and over with different takes. But you know, as hard as that scene is to watch, it's written so well. Like you said, as a viewer, you're pulled into the perspectives of both mothers. Yes, and you feel the pain of both mothers, yes. and that is an extraordinary. Thing to accomplish as writers and to even think of, frankly, yeah. because it's so easy to just err with the side of, of the victim. Yes. How exactly as writers do you approach creating scenes with this level of intensity? Um, you know, I believe that all characters, I'm interested in the where and the why of every character. Why are they who they are? How did they get there? Um, and that's why I'm always interested in depicting every experience, you know, that you might see from a of a black person's experience. 
And I know sometimes, often, like people don't air the dirty laundry. Why are you going to show a drug addict or why are you going to show this kid who's a gangbanger? That actually insults me mm-hmm. because I think, well, because they are a human being who is whose experience deserves to be shared, to be, you know, sort of pulled apart and um, examined. And because I don't want to just show a drug dealer on the corner, I want to show a human being who now has found him his way to that lifestyle. So what is that? Um, I think it's important, you know, so when you see a scene like the one we just listened to, that is the goal in that scene, that here are two mothers um, who are both still dealing, are both victims of this thing, you know, the the, the rapist's mother, um, he, you know, the rapist committed suicide after he was kicked off the football team. And, you know, so you see both of these mothers still suffering. Um, and I thought that was important to, to depict. It took you a few years to find a home for the show, which ultimately landed with BET. And you mentioned in a separate interview that airing the show on BET allows the quad to be unapologetic. I just love that word. So in what ways is the show unapologetic? Mm. I think that um, when you think of the critical response to the show, which has been mostly positive, um, but we always remember the ones who are un- unhappy. You know, the, the few are always the loudest. <laughs> so I think that if it aired somewhere else, um, those who are unhappy would say something that wouldn't be true because I would still be the one, you know, executive producing it. But if it were on a mainstream network, um, I think those critics would say, oh, of course, then, you know, the, the white-led uh, networks or whatever don't care about us and just want to make us look bad or whatever that mm. is. Um, so being at a place where so many, like I said, executives are were educated at HBCUs is helpful. Um, You know, it's also challenging because it isn't a a major network with major network bucks. So you sometimes are challenged in that way or, you know, promotion isn't what you want it to be. Or, um, you know, there is still, and I find this so interesting, there's still, you you might get notes about, do we want to say that? Mm. You know, is that what we want to depict? And so there's still some, you know, lively debates within BT. It's not like they roll over and say, sure, do any and everything you want to do, because as the leader in that pack of black cable channels, they still have to be concerned about what is BET saying the black experience is. Wow. How do you generally handle that kind of pushback? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Deep breath. (laughs) I'm probably notoriously have a very strong personality and um, am incredibly passionate about what I do. So my pushback is strong, but I hope that my pushback is strong with points that with points that make my point about why we should tell a story a particular way so that I sort of invite them to not be afraid to give the, the audience um, credit for wanting to see everything and, you know, experience everything. 
um, not just the nice version of this thing or that. I like being provocative, and and I think the audience appreciates it too. But you know, it's not uh, just BET who worries. It's every network will worry about: are are we offending our advertisers? Are we going to offend a certain part of the, you know, audience? And I always say, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I love you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I imagine it's tough because working in film and TV, you're beholden to a lot of different stakeholders. Yes. So there's a lot of asking, how can we make everyone happy? And the truth is you can't. Exactly. So how do you balance that? You yes, know? That, that's exactly right. And so you have to dig deep into your gut and ask yourself, you know, why are you telling the story? Um, what is the value of that story? So that you can feel very confident in what you're doing when in the face of, you know, some people being not so happy. Speaking of provocative, <laughs> you have a history of writing for DC Comics. Mm -hmm. And now you are executive producing Marvel's The Punisher. So you went over to the dark side, over to Marvel. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> so are you currently working on any new projects? Um, so I will say that um, I'm the co-executive producer on Marvel's The Punisher. Could there be anything more different than the quad? I mean, <laughs> that just shows your range. It's, it is so, you know, and they have different seasons, so it, it happened to work out pretty perfectly. But um, it is a very different muscle. And because I was a comic book geek as a kid from seven or eight years old, it's really a dream come true to be able to work on something that is an adaptation. I'm like, I used to hold these little things in my hand that I was obsessed with and would put them under my pillow at night, you know, when mom's like, go to bed now. I'm like, I'm in bed and slide it, you know, under your pillow and then get your flashlight out once she went to bed so you could keep reading them. Oh. So to go from that, then one day I wake up and I'm writing The Punisher for... Um, you know, Marvel's The Punisher for Netflix, I still pinch myself. Um, it's an amazing experience. I never would have. And then that the first one that I do is this one, you know, about a guy who's basically a vigilante who, um, but I get him. I understand him because I feel like, you know what, if someone had murdered my entire family, I would be standing right next to Frank Castle going, let's go, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I get uh, it. Story idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. The first season um, dropped, and you can still um, watch it. on still streaming on Netflix. And we just started working on the second season. The writers have gathered, and it is going down. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so exciting. Wow. Sending my love to Felicia for everything that she has done for TV and for the black experience and showing how diverse and how different we all can be, even if we are within one group of people. I know that, like I mentioned in the interview, just because I'm a Latina doesn't mean that I am Sofia Vergara, although I love her very much. 
If you want to follow Felicia on the socials, you can find her on Twitter and on Instagram at followfeliciad. And you can also watch these amazing interviews that she does personally with the cast and crew of The Quad at youtube.com slash Felicia Henderson. You can find her channel on there and you can look for Office Hours, which is what this series of videos are called. You can also find the Office Hours videos on Facebook. All of these tasty links are going to be in the show notes as always at culturedpodcast.com. Until next time, keep it classy, keep it curious, keep it cultured. I'm Michelle Corey. LaRaven Taylor is our producer. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Listen Up Podcasts, made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to Cultured on culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Casts, and anywhere podcasts are found. <laughs>